Welcome to Firefighting in Canada, the podcast, brought to you by Draeger. Draeger products protect, support, and save lives. Firefighting equipment you can trust. You've tuned in for compelling conversation on hot topics impacting Canada's fire service. I'm Hope BC Fire Chief Tom DeSorcy. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in. I'm Grant Cameron, editor of Firefighting in Canada magazine. On today's podcast, I'm speaking to Christopher Howe, an acting captain at the Niagara Falls Fire Department. Chris spoke recently at Fire Rescue Canada, the annual conference of the Canadian Association of Fire Chiefs. Um, I was at the conference and listened to him speak, and I can tell you from hearing his story firsthand that he's a true inspiration to others in the fire service who might be facing adversity. For about an hour, Chris gave a personal, no-holds-barred account of his battles with mental health, alcoholism, addiction, and his journey to recovery. Uh, His account was straightforward and unabashed. He talked about uh, suicide attempts, how he hit rock bottom, and how he eventually reached out and got help. Chris, I'm happy to say, hasn't touched alcohol or drugs for eight years now. He now shares a story in hopes of inspiring others to overcome their difficulties. He hopes that his story of recovery and life will help others in a similar predicament and raise awareness amongst the fire community about the true nature of the diseases. Chris, thanks for joining us today and uh, agreeing to share your story. I really appreciate this. Oh, absolutely. Um, Thank you so much for having me, Chris. Yeah, I appreciate it. Maybe you could just start by explaining uh how your problem started and uh, perhaps what you went through. So, Sure. Um, so for myself, um, I, had a, I didn't have a, a particularly uh, rough upbringing or anything like that. Okay. I did come from a household where I felt loved and, uh, you know, appreciated, but I did struggle with, um, with social issues, anxiety, depression, that sort of thing. I was very... I was just a scared kid. I was smaller than everybody else. I was, um, right. yeah, I just felt different and I, I didn't really feel I had a place um, in, until I found uh, alcohol first and then drugs later. Um, in in taking my first drink, I found, uh, I found, you know, people around me. I found some acceptance. I found, um, you know, attention that I was, I guess I was seeking that for my whole life, but I didn't know where to find it. And, you know, I found it, uh, through alcohol, my first drink uh, turned into my first blackout. Okay. And yeah, and um, I woke up from that from that night, um, you know, with stories about me, attention, you know, people talking, people people wanted to be my friend, they wanted me to come to another party, and it gave me, it washed away all the feelings of depression, anxiety, uh, fear, whatever I had been dealing with for you know that uh, that well up until that part of my life. How um, how old were you about that time, Chris? When did you first? I was thirteen or fourteen. Okay. I would say just yeah. before high school. Okay. Um, yeah, and uh, so you know, so I, I I I chased that feeling for for a lot of years. So I, you know, I instantly, even though the attention I was getting wasn't the right kind of attention, I I I was really looking to feel like I belonged to something or I belonged somewhere. So right. Um, so so alcohol kind of. Um, made you feel like you belonged then it really did and yeah. um and and then and then you know shortly after I was introduced to drugs and uh, you know i found uh, i found in in cocaine something that the same the same thing I found in alcohol and it was right again, I see. acceptance 
Um, I had a, you know a social circle of people around me. It made me more sociable. It it it, it made it made me um, or it allowed me to 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 act the way I I, I felt rather I than to have have to people please or or to have to um, you know kind of kind of hide behind uh, you know uh, different mental health issues I was struggling from. Right, I see, and. That, Sorry, yeah, how how bad did it get for you? You you started having blackouts, that sort of thing, and for sure. Um, well, like yeah. I said, that my first my first drink turned into my first blackout. So I, I don't know how um, you know I drank like that since for the the rest of my my drinking and using career. Yeah, I I, I didn't know I don't know what it's like to drink and not blackout. So I've always drank alcoholically, um, and and even in that first that first um, experience with alcohol, it was almost instinctual that I would just drink until uh, something in my brain shut off. So right. it was, it was truly a break from who I was, who I was um, struggling with. And that was myself, my true self. So I, I was just looking for that break. And um, yeah, so blackouts became a regular thing and um, I enjoyed it for a long time um, because I, I didn't, I felt I wasn't responsible for my actions or what I I say or do. Um, I had an excuse to to say or do those things, but at a certain point, it stopped working because I, you know, I start to feel the the backlash um, right. from from my uh, the people around me. Yeah, and, uh, and I, I remember. Sort of, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I I remember at the the Canadian conference there, you had mentioned that you took the mirrors out of your house. Was that just because you didn't like the way you look? when you were doing this or um well it's uh yes yes and no i mean okay. i didn't like the way i looked certainly um you know i i was i was treating my my body like you know very poorly yeah um, but i i i would say i actually despised myself and what i had become so over the you know over the over the years and of, of drinking and using you know things got progressively worse so you know my 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 nights turned into multiple nights and weeks of, of um, drinking and using without sleep or um, or any sort of break. And yeah. So and then when I was done and when I was finally ready to, to to take a break from that, you know, I was met with feelings of guilt, shame, and remorse that were so powerful um, that yeah, I, I started to I started to hate or despise myself, and I didn't want to see myself and what I'd become. So I took the mirrors off. Um, off the walls, I took you know anything that I could see my reflection in. Right, I, I, see. I would draw the the blinds and keep them drawn all day, all night because I didn't want people to see in and I didn't want to see out. It was a very isolated, um, you know, I was putting myself in a in a in an isolated position where nobody else was allowed to come in and see what was really going on. Right now, you might you must have had obviously periods of uh, when you were sober in between uh, drinking and and drugs and that sort of thing. Um, what did what did you think when you were sober? I guess did you feel bad or yeah. did you feel you have to change? And then you just went back to drinking anyway, or. Yeah, so for me, um I was uh, I was first introduced to the the rooms of recovery at 22 years old. Okay. And um I was uh, I was I was at a a point of desperation in my life and um I wasn't truly ready to quit, but I wanted a break from it. Um so yeah, I I go, go to a, you know a a meeting or a certain group or you know any kind of uh any, any kind of um 
outlet for recovery that I would explore. I got okay. a, I I got a good feeling from it. Um, I did. I did feel some relief in, in putting the drugs and alcohol down, but it was very short-lived. I, um, I, I was going into these meetings, comparing myself to others, thinking because I still had material things and a job and these sort of things that, you know, I didn't, I didn't qualify as an alcoholic or an addict because I still had material things, which is wrong because yeah. it's about what you feel emotionally and what's in the inner turmoil that's going on. So I was, um, you know, I was going to these meetings, just taking up a seat, and I was really just looking for some relief. Um, from, you know, I had either, I had either uh, upset a girl I was dating, or gotten into some trouble with the police, or you know, family was upset, or my my job was starting to ask questions. So I, that was my that was my little break, my little relief, and um, and I did feel, I did feel like it did something for me, and. Um, I just didn't, I, I wasn't ready to fully commit to it. I was just going to say that you weren't ready yet. Yeah. Not at all. Yeah. But, you know, over the, over the years, uh, sitting in those meetings, going in there for, you know, to appease other people, I think I was picking up little tidbits of recovery. And I see. Even though I was, I wasn't allowing myself to relate to anybody, mm-hmm. I was still picking up on the, the message of hope in those meetings. I see. Okay. And so mm-hmm. you, you, when you were going to these meetings, were you a firefighter at that time? Uh, when I was uh, okay, so I started uh, to to kind of test the waters of recovery at 22 years of age, and I started with the fire department at 24. Okay. So, uh, so yeah, so I spent I spent um, I, I spent seven years of my career in active addiction. Yeah. How how did that affect your job? Like um, going to work hungover, that sort of thing, or yeah, affecting your um, moods and and everything, or how, how did sure. you so, how did you manage i guess when you were going through this yeah so it was uh it was very difficult i was um you know i didn't feel like i was a useful member of the team i didn't feel like i fit in i um i was coming to work very unfit for duty if i did show up to work so i was abusing my sick time for sure um that 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 became uh you know sort of a, a point of contention with um you know some of my superiors and um, I didn't feel I didn't feel like a productive uh, and useful member of the department. I felt I was letting my coworkers down. I felt I was letting myself down, and I definitely feel I was letting the public down as well. I, you know, I have a, du- a duty to help people, and I couldn't help myself. So um, yeah, so it was affecting your relationships with uh, like others in your crew, that sort of thing, eh? Definitely. And yeah. I, I think, you know, I wasn't very confident with myself or my skills and that, that started to really show. And I think I was, you know, I, I lost, I lost the respect of a lot of the guys on my crew and in my department I um, through, through different, you know, different actions and reactions. I was also very, you know, when I was sober, um, I didn't want to be sober. So I was very reactive to, um, you know, different things so i i was i was i was volatile where you know sometimes i i could be a nice guy and then i'd be the dr jekyll mr hyde like i right. switch and be you know act act very irrationally and you know that's that's not that's yeah. not the way you're supposed to treat your coworkers or your family you know that's right we're, yeah. we're meant to be a, a family unit in the fire department and i I wasn't treating these people uh, very fairly at all. I see. And uh, you, you had uh, mentioned that you, you were even having trouble with when you went to minor call-outs. It was affecting you, I guess, more emotionally than perhaps it should have. 
Absolutely. So um, the, some of the calls that we would go to that might involve, um, you know, suicide or um, or overdose, that sort of thing, or mental health uh, issues that were that were apparent in those calls. Right. I would see myself. I would see myself in some of the um, the patients that we'd we'd be tending to, and um, I didn't like it. I was a, it was a glimpse of my lifestyle that uh, that really you know kind of was eye opening, but. Um, I wasn't, you know, I would, I would keep that stuff to myself because something that I heard early in my career was, uh, and this came from a, a you know, a senior firefighter, mm-hmm. you know, he, he, he told me that, uh, you know, if you could give me one piece of advice to carry through my career, it's to never show your weakness around here because we right. prey on our weak. Okay. All righty. That, that was a very strong statement to me. And that, that kind of shaped the way I, uh, I, I didn't feel it was okay to show my my uh, vulnerabilities at work because it was perceived as a weakness. Okay, and uh, I, I guess you closed yourself off as well. You stopped hanging out with the guys after work, that sort of thing as well. Or mm-hmm. yeah, okay. I did, and, and that that was because I was starting to act. Uh, well, people people knew what kind of person I was. People yeah. knew that uh, people knew that I had a problem. I was trying to mask it. I was trying to be. I was trying to be the. The heavy drinker, but not the alcoholic. I see. Um, okay. I wanted to be the party guy, but not looked at as a, an alcoholic or a failure. Um, you know, and, and but truly, I, I I I've always been an alcoholic. So, and I yeah. deep down, I, I did know that. So, yeah, I stopped hanging out with the guys because I felt like I didn't want them to really know who I was and what I was dealing with and how bad it had really gotten. Right, kind of see behind the curtain then. Yeah. Yeah. So. What brought you to the point of seeking help? You you tried suicide, a, a, I think it was two or three times, right? And then yeah, so it was three times, uh, three attempts. Wow, that's and, uh, that's something else. Um, it, what happened? Did you like end up in hospital those times, or? Uh, um, yeah, a couple times I did, um, and one time I didn't. Uh, those were, I think those those attempts were were me kind of testing the waters and seeing, I don't know that I truly was, uh, it might've been a, a bit of a cry for attention or help. Right. Um, I see. Now okay. that I look at it. Yeah. But in the, in, in the final days of my drinking and using my plan, I woke up, uh, the last day that I drank, I woke up, um, that day with the intention of, of trying and, and actually succeeding. So that would have been the fourth and final time that I, oh. I was going to attempt okay. suicide. Um, so I, and I, I sat down with a piece of paper and a pen and I was writing out the the ways that I could do it. And I wanted to do it in a way that didn't hurt very much, um, that, that people would find me and, and not in a, I didn't want to scar people with the way that they would find me. Cause I've been to these calls and I've seen the way, you know, the, the right. set and setting around that is very, very yeah. uh, morbid. Mm-hmm. And, um, it, you know, so I wanted to avoid those things and, as I was writing, as I was writing these things out, like I, in my mind, I don't know that I truly wanted to die, but I knew I couldn't live the way I was living anymore. I needed a change, and that was the easiest way out at the time because okay. I was, I was not, I, I had up until that point, I was not willing to truly ask for help and mean it. I, I was just, I was just looking for a break from myself for a little bit. Okay, um, so at that, this point, that, oh, sorry. That fourth time then that you you were looking at or contemplating suicide, you just got overwhelmed with emotion about it, or I did, and in, yeah. in that in that 
in that um, kind of like rush of emotions, I, re- I started to remember all the people in the rooms of recovery that, uh, that were happy, they were smiling, they were laughing, they were very happy to be sober and living a good life. I see. And, you know, I, again, I was, as I said before, I had sat in those rooms for, oh, 10 years, uh, just ducking into, you know, for different reasons, going into the, the rooms of recovery with, um, with, you know, knowing that I wasn't going to stay sober for, you know, for, for good, but, um, trying to appease other people. I just remembered all those seeds that were being planted along the way kind of all just blossomed at one time. And, um, and I put the pen down and I thought, you're not going to kill yourself today. You're going to go to that meeting again. You're going to go in with, you know, with a, like I went in with an idea of, um, or, or, a uh, a sense of true surrender at that point. Like I was waving the white flag of surrender. I just, I walked in, I grabbed the first person that shook my hand and I, I didn't let their hand go. And I just said, I need help. I can't live this way any longer. I was ready to die a few hours ago. Show me how to live. Just I show do, me how to live. I guess you were ready at that time then. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. how did you get help? Did you go, uh, as you just mentioned, did you go to an AA meeting and then that just got the ball rolling or? Yeah, so I had a lot of um I had a lot of different uh different resources at the time. So um yeah, I was going to um to different recovery meetings. I was using my EAP program at work, I was talking to psychologists, psychiatrists, uh, my doctor. I had uh, I sort of built a network of um of sober uh friends and uh, and 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 um colleagues as well. Like, you know, there was a couple of people at work that had got sober that were um okay you know yeah. they were willing to talk to me about that and, and they were definitely uh a huge help and a huge um you know just to have that that yeah. camaraderie in recovery um at work was a big deal to me i see okay so how how did you uh like once you started getting help um yeah i assume you told your coworkers and uh let them know what was going on um eventually i did yes Okay. How did you tell them? Did you just come in for a shift and sit them down and explain what was going on or um so that would I be didn't. a tough thing to do, I would imagine. It would be a tough thing because uh, you know, in in our culture, um, you know, in the fire department, it's uh it's it's still it's changing a lot, but it's still it's still that, you know, kind of alpha world where where we're kind of meant to you know, to just suck it up. Suck, yeah, take, suck it up and not time. really share about our emotions unless it's a big call that everybody's going to have a hard time with. And, you know, um, the personal stuff is, is not – the guys do talk about it, but not as freely as I think is necessary. So for me, I I waited until I was about six months sober because, um, you know, I needed to uh, – I needed to, to be sure that I was going to – that I was going to stick to this. Yeah, and, exactly. um I started to look a lot different. I started to act different. I was, you know, I was um, treating my coworkers and myself, uh, you know, a lot different. And I think people started to to realize that. And they were asking questions, what are you doing differently? And I started to share openly and honestly about that uh, with them. So it wasn't, I didn't go in and just kind of like tell tell them as a group. It was sort of an individual thing where I would tell certain people that I trusted and let eventually letting certain people into my life um, or, in, not into my life, but like it, 
into my um, my journey, I guess. I see. And, okay. Yeah. No. What What did you find the that experience was like? Were Were people supportive? Uh, you know, once you told them what 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 you were doing and that you were recovering, that sort of thing. Were they supportive of what you were going through? Absolutely. It was the the response was overwhelmingly positive, and then I wasn't mm-hmm. expecting that either. You know, so I had people that I thought were my enemies that didn't that didn't think I was worth anything or didn't deserve the job. I had those people just, you know, super supportive of of my recovery, there for me if I needed to talk to them. They were very very um helpful in, you know, teaching me, having to go back and teach me how to do my job properly. So I treated I treated my reintegration to the fire department the same way I treated my my recovery. So I had to, I had to go back to the basics. So I had to go back to day one of like, you know, how do you roll a hose properly? How do you catch a hydrant? How do you do, you know, like all these simple tasks that I had taken for granted. Okay. I had, I had to relearn that stuff. And that meant asking people who were junior to me um, to show me the right way to do things. And I wanted to build myself um, back up as a, as a, as a firefighter um, with, you know, with the group. So they, they, everybody had a piece of um, helping me get back up to par where I needed to be. And I think in in that process, you know, showing some humility and asking for help brought me um, a lot of kinship as well as, um, you know, I truly believe that I gained a little bit of respect that way. And, you know, being able to say like these people, they knew that I couldn't do the job the way I should be doing it, but I I wasn't willing to admit it. So when I was finally willing to admit it and ask for the help, they were there no matter what, no matter what time of day, night, whatever, if they're on duty, off duty, people were there for me. I I guess they came together a bit like a family in the end. Well, yeah. in, in, and that's the first time, you know, in for, for in my experience, that's when I really felt part mm-hmm. of, you know, part of something. I felt I felt that uh, camaraderie amongst my peers, and and I I felt like you know people were starting to really open up to me, and 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 you know I was getting uh, I was I was just getting friends. I was I was getting friends from places that I. I thought were, um, you know, I, I thought these people would never want anything to do with me. And they, you know, they became some of my best friends. I see. Okay. Came out of the woodwork then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So now you've been sober for eight years. Yes. Yeah. And how does that feel? Like looking back, um, it must feel like that was a different person eight years ago. Um, I think you'd mentioned you you know, you take care of your body now, you work out of the gym, that sort of thing. So um, physically, you must be a lot healthier. But uh, how, how do you feel now? You good? Yeah. So um, yeah, I feel I feel like a completely different person. I mean, I, yeah. yeah, I like to do I like to do a lot of physical things. I like boxing, Muay Thai, go to the gym, run, whatever. But yeah. you know, now I think I'm a little more, um, well, a lot more emotionally equipped to handle life on life's terms and and to do my job the way I should be doing it. Um, I feel. A, I feel like I've got a lot more confidence in my skills and in myself. I think I'm able to to treat myself and others with um with respect and you know I'm 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 definitely a more productive uh firefighter as well as just person in general. Right. And the other thing that's big for me is that I have the capacity to help others and that's the big thing to me. So I I want to be a resource to people I work with and you know, anybody that does this job or anybody really that's reaching out for help, um, I want to be there to say, hey, you know, 
I've been where you're at. Things don't, you don't have to live this way any longer. Things can change. And this is how, this is how it worked for me. And I'm happy to be a part of recovery for anybody else, whether it's in the fire department or out. Right. Yeah. You'd be a great resource for that. So, um, so kind of looking back, what, what, what's your message to firefighters that might have similar problems, uh, you know, with drinking or drugs or anything? Um, how do they reach out for help? Do they yeah, just okay. tell somebody in their department or go through their EAP program? Or what, what would be the first step, do you think? Okay, well, first of all, the first, uh, yeah, the first step is, is realizing that by admitting you have a problem, mm-hmm. you're not showing a weakness um, or a vulnerability. You're actually showing, um, a, you know, a great deal of strength and fortitude in asking for help, and that is the only thing that you have to do alone. Once you ask for help, you'll have, you know, help. You'll have allies and people in abundance there, willing to be a part of your your recovery and and you know play a part in uh, in in making or or, or changing your life. Um, so yeah. that that definitely is a huge thing. Um, I would I would say to anybody struggling with addiction is that you know, the the main message is that you don't have to live this way any longer. Um, there's a, there's much more to life and, you know, all you have to do is reach out for that, for that help. And, um, I see. That, okay. that is, that is the only, that's the hardest thing to do, but it's the only thing you have to do alone. I see. Um, everybody, and, everybody yeah. helps once, once you've reached out, you find people come and, uh, they're available to help you. So. Absolutely. Yeah. And we need to start talking about, you know, what's going on emotionally. It's not just, you know, not just the calls, the the facts about the call or, you know, it's how, how does that stuff make you feel? Or how did, how did the way somebody treated you uh, make you feel or what you're going through emotionally? Like, I think that the more dialogue that we can have um, that's not surface level, that's yeah. very um, emotional and that, that, that we can, we can talk about what's really going on, right. the healthier we're going to be as uh, as a culture and the, and the more apt to uh, recognize uh, maybe a coworker or a peer has a problem or, or realize it in ourselves. Right. I, I recall you saying when you come back from a call at work now, you make a point of asking everybody, if they're okay, and um, yeah. why do you do that? Just to make sure that that they don't have you know hidden issues that they're dealing with, that sort of thing, or yeah, definitely. Well, because everybody, uh, no matter what 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 the nature of the call is, or the size or severity of the call, it's going to affect everybody differently. So you know, a call that that may yeah. affect my coworker very uh, very deeply may be just a nothing call for me, but I don't know that. So if you open the dialogue there to say. Hey, is everybody okay? Does anybody want to talk about that problem? Or mm-hmm. sorry, about that call uh, or that that situation? You're at least opening the door for somebody to say, "Yeah, you know what? That, this aspect of that call bothered me." And then others might be able to weigh in or relate to it. So um, I think just as a culture, if we're if we're checking in with each other, not just on the the large calls and the and the the the, the incidents that you know that are uh, requiring like a critical incident stress management team right but just the, the everyday calls to check in with each other and make sure that everything's cool and everything's you know everybody's good with that call it kind of just closes that door um on that call and, and um gives us a, also gives us the opportunity to to share about it in a in a um a confidential way and see. you know 
generally, if we if we are if we're experiencing something to do with that call, somebody else on our truck has has dealt with something similar. So we can draw on each other's experience and, and strengths and hope that um, that you know not to let that call fester and and kind of boil over and and kind of um, come out in a uh, and in a negative, negative way. Right, I see. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, uh, anything else that you wanted to, to mention, Chris? Um, any other thoughts on this issue? Um, I imagine you'd encourage people, if they have a problem, to come forward and get help. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the biggest thing is just to, 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 to keep talking about what's going on with us. If you do have a problem, realize that, you know, you're not alone. And that you know, plenty of plenty of us are dealing with this stuff, and plenty of us have been through it, and now are on the other side of things. And another big thing too is that you know we have we have facilities out there that are um, that are specifically tailored to emergency service uh, personnel and recovery from addiction, um, mental health issues, PTSD, um, and all these things that that affect us as a as a culture. So. You know, I, I speak about um, a company called Edgewood Health Networks, and they have um, they have facilities across Canada, and they actually tailor some of their programs specifically to emergency service responders. So I see. You know, you're you're recovering amongst your peers, which is a huge thing. So you're you you get to you get to feel part of um, somebody else somebody else's journey that is um, uh, that's like-minded and in the same career that can relate to a lot of the things that we, uh, that you may be going through. I see. So okay. To, to me, I think that's a fantastic thing. Um, uh, you know, I would suggest that to anybody, you know, treatment, treatment through these companies, treatment centers is a huge thing. And I think that what took me, you know, six or eight months to accomplish in, in my journey yep. could have mm-hmm. taken, could have been, could have been accomplished in one month of intensive treatment. So mm-hmm. I think that's a big thing to realize that there are facilities out there that are tailored to us, um, where you get to recover amongst other firefighters. And, um, and that's a huge thing. I think that's a huge thing for us. I see. Okay. Well, Chris, uh, thanks so much for sharing your story. Uh, as I mentioned, I, I heard you speak at the Canadian conference there, and it was uh, it was a great talk. And uh, you know, you're a true inspiration to anybody who finds themselves in a predicament like this. And uh, I, I I'm sure our listen, listeners appreciate you telling this story, and uh, hopefully it'll inspire others who might find themselves with similar problems to seek help. So uh, again, thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's uh, it's honestly my pleasure. Thank you for joining Firefighting in Canada, the podcast, brought to you by Draeger. Draeger products protect, support, and save lives. Firefighting equipment you can trust. Visit firefightingincanada.com and click on Hot Topics for more episodes.